بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Dear respected sisters, uh, it's nice to have you here today for this uh, annual Path to Piety. I'm sure everybody's, uh, mashallah, very excited. I'm sure, mashallah, you've learnt a lot today. And just the fact that we're with, uh, among other sisters, uh, that in itself provides uh, an environment that is worth attending. Nowadays, with having online lectures where you can actually listen to whoever you want to choose, whoever you wish to listen to and, and in the comfort of your own homes. Uh, the problem with that is that a lecture is not just about listening to somebody, but it's also about being in the correct environment. We benefit uh, from other people's uh, spirituality and uh, brotherhood, sisterhood in Islam. That's a very important aspect. So inshallah, uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the best of this program. My topic today is going to be not about any kind of a general topic um, but my topic I'm just going to because take the opportunity today rather because we have a lot of sisters I want to really uh, send this message out there it's about a very very specific topic that particularly affects women the topic I want to speak about today I said it's a very focused topic very specific topic and primarily it uh, is something that affects women uh, or it's coming from women and Mashallah, marriage is something which is very important in Islam and that's why most people we see around us in terms of the Muslim community, they're married. However, we're also seeing that there's an increase in divorce and there's many factors for divorce which today is not the time to discuss and today is not the time to get into. But there's one destructive consequence of divorce which I want to speak about. So as I said, I want to speak about something very, very specific. And I want to speak about this because Mashallah, we have a lot of sisters here and... Uh, if you know somebody who's in this situation, maybe, or you are one of these people, then inshallah you can try to make uh, corrections and amends about this because it's really very harmful for our community. So one of the most destructive consequences of a divorce is actually the harm that is done to the children. And a lot of the time, unwittingly, they don't realize that what they're doing is actually harmful for the children uh, by either one parent or both parents. So it could be from either side. Uh, however, because in the West, the custody laws generally tend to be unfairly, and I say this uh, emphatically, and I say this uh, you know, with, with uh, particular emphasis, that the, in the West, generally the custody laws tend to be unfairly biased towards the mother. And this experience will, has shown this, and you will probably be able to support this by uh, stories that you know as well. It appears, uh, at least in the UK, that the government may be looking at rehauling the system because I think they believe that in England uh, the, the marriage, marriage laws, divorce marriage laws are very old and things have really moved on and uh, those laws are very difficult to apply. Part of that is the custody issue uh, anyway. So due to this, meaning the laws being unfairly biased towards mothers and other factors, Mothers are very easily able to alienate their children from their fathers and gain 100% custody. 100% custody rights for their children. And they can very easily manipulate the system for their benefit. 
let me let me just provide you the following scenarios which I could say the majority of which are in the local community right the majority of which are in the local community although there's some that I know and these are people I personally know or personally know about uh, and these are not just third-hand stories but these are people who either I most of them in fact I, I think I directly know them the first person is a person he's in another city he is uh, he's ha he's had children from an ex-wife they got divorced and I in fact I know the wife's family in uh, his ex-wife's family I know that family at least I know some members of that family I know about the family they've got at least one scholar in that wife's family but this uh, this individual has not been able has not been allowed to see his children for I think it's been at least a decade over 10 years and uh, this is really sad because his ex-wife's family is a religious family. They're linked to uh, righteous people. They actually have at least one alim in their family, but they, they, they will not allow him to see, their ch see his children. Person two. Person two is a, is a well-known scholar uh, of an international repute. Again, ex-wife refused to allow him to see their, his, I think, two daughters at least. It was only, that was for over a decade if I remember correctly, right? That was also over a decade. And it is only after his daughters themselves turned 18 that they were able to reach out to him themselves. I think initially without their mother knowing. Because, and again, in this case, the mother is a niqabi and they're from a religious family. And this is over 10 years. Now, some of you may be thinking that these ex-husbands must be really bad people, right? They must be child abusers, pedophiles, and that's why somebody's doing this. But far from it, far from it. They're not like that, and I can vouch for that, right? Number three, there's a person who, who there's a person who uh, split up from his wife, right? Husband and wife split up. Initially, they agreed. Right on, uh, they agreed that they would have joint custody of their approximately 10 year old daughter. Soon, though, the mother started restricting her visits, meaning the daughter's visit, because now she's living somewhere else, husband's living elsewhere. The daughter is generally living with the mother, but she, the, the, the father gets to see him once or twice a week or three times a week or whatever it was. The, it was minority time was spent with the father, majority time was with the daughter anyway, but she uh, was. Uh, uh, she, she started restricting her visits. This forced the father to go to court because there was no way that uh, they could have an amicable uh, discussion about it because clearly this was the, the, the wife playing, playing something out. Then the mother started emotionally blackmailing the daughter by telling her when she was with her how lonely she felt because she said that when you go when your when your father's alone he's got his mother in the house so at least there's two people i'm alone when you go now a 10 year old girl is going to feel really sorry for her mother even though you know she knows she must go to her father it's just really playing with her mind she said uh, you know at least your father's got her his mother living with uh, with him but i've got nobody on the way to school sometimes she would actually stop the car halfway or you know somewhere on the way and pretend to vomit to show that she was very sick. She would pretend to vomit. The daughter would obviously tell all of this to the father because she's very innocent, right? But slowly, slowly, it has its toll. The father noticed that this is completely traumatizing his daughter and he couldn't do anything about it, obviously, because he can't speak to the mother. 
and nobody else is there to listen. Uh, eventually what started happening is that the daughter she would want to go back quickly she would want to return quickly and eventually like she would just go and stand by the door I need to go home I want to go home right and that was a massive marked difference uh, between how she was before and how she'd become and he'd not done anything to essentially uh, spoil her and then eventually she refused to come altogether they went to court and I think the judge in this case did see through the ploys but I didn't know I don't know what's happened since then because I haven't spoken to the father or the mother for a very long time person number four similar to the case above very similar to the case above initially he would have uh, he would have them uh, and I know this because when I was the principal of the madrasa I would see him bring uh, the children sometimes the mother bring the children sometimes but as of the last two years or so he spent over £20,000 behind lawyers but eventually even though he may be given custody they can easily be manipulated by the, by, by the wife and then he has no money left. So essentially what the wife does and the problem with this is that I've spoken to a lawyer about this right, who deals with a lot of these cases and he said what happens is that it's in the lawyer's interest because that's how they make money. So they actually tell you to, they actually tell the mothers that if there's a way you can have him attack you or have him flip out at you, that's going to be your biggest evidence. And most, most husbands, most men or even women for that matter, if such injustice is actually done to them, they would definitely flip out. But to be honest, the, the strategy here should be, the wisdom here would be that you have to stay calm. Otherwise, you just incriminate yourself more because of the messed up system. It's really biased and I know I'm speaking to sisters because this must stop, right? And I'm speaking to you for, you know, our own good. It's not, it's not because, you know, I'm a man and you're a woman. No, that's not the case, right? So the fourth case is similar to the above. The father spends over 20,000, but for the last two, three years, if I remember correctly, he's not been able to see because he has no money to fight the case anymore, right? And basically his children have been poisoned against him. Number five, again, similar to the above, but what the wife used here, and I'm not giving ideas here, but what the wife used here is that the husband, and he's a convert, this man's a convert, and I know him because I've done some work with him, right? He's a convert. His wife used the terrorism card against him. She said that he's involved in terrorism. I don't know the exact word she used or whatever the case was, but he had a book because he's a Shafi'i. He had a book called Umdatu Salik, which is basically um, a uh, Shafi'i fiqh manual. It's quite a big fiqh manual. It's got a chapter on jihad in there that was used to incriminate him that he has those tendencies again he spent a huge amount of money to try to exonerate himself and try to to be able to see his children right number six this is again somebody i know very closely probably more than anybody else uh, in, in these five or six people this person after uh, he, he started having problems with his wife and um, you see what you have to remember here is that again it's not about judging who's right and wrong in terms of the split up right parents can split up for whatever reason right uh, it's bad to split up for bad reasons and one of them is probably going to be more blame more to blame than the other one but that's besides the point when it comes to the children when you genuinely know inside that the father is no risk to the children but is actually necessary for the children Right? Then to do it. As I said, these are not pedophiles, these are not 
abusers. These are just normal fathers, right? They may have made it, some of these may have made a mistake, you know, in their marriage because I mean, you need, you need two hands to clap. But in this particular case, anyway, because he'd learnt of several friends of his who had this problem, because he'd learnt from several people he knows who've had this problem and who've just had literally agonizing years and years and years after divorce to try to see their children who they have great love for and for which they're willing to do whatever. His child was only a few months old when the divorce took place. As, as some advice that was given to him, he decided proactively to cut off all ties with his son and his wife. So obviously he's cut ties with his wife because they're divorced. But he, he has also said, I, ha I want nothing to do with the child. Unless you want to come and drop the child off, then I'm willing to do it. But he knows that she's going to use that child against because he knows how she is. Or he thinks he knows. So he has refused to engage. So after several months, she tried to say that, okay, you know, she tried to get the brother involved, her brother involved to say, you need to see the child, child needs to be in your, you know, uh, needs to have a father figure, etc, etc. So he says, okay, if you want me to see him, right, because you know, they, they don't, that's not what they're doing. They want to just get at him. And I'll explain why later, because you're wondering, how is this even possible? Right? So I've done a lot of research in this. So he told her, okay, fine, you know, br bring the child on. So then, you know what the next, you know what the next condition was? Is that one of us will have to be there with him because he doesn't know you guys. Now, he's very good with children, and I know that for a fact. And there's enough people within his extended family to, uh, to, to, to be able to be there to, you know, comfort the child if they need it. They don't really want to give the child because then after that, once he said, or once, once, he, once he said, look, if you want, you come and drop him off. I've got enough people to look after him, right? They stopped, they stopped contacting him, right? So his extended family, a lot of them can't understand why he's doing this because for a person to literally shut out their own child is unthinkable generally unthinkable it took me so long to understand what he's doing and i half agree with what he's doing right now because if he gets if he the point is that he thinks and he's been told by psychologists to think as well that if he develops a relationship with his child and she is definitely going to mess him around meaning the mother right he's just going to be in agony and eventually have to lose custody anyway so this way at least He'll be able to show his child when he grows up enough that, look, I tried my best, but this was your mother's doing. You can't be helped because a lot of the time these children will grow up hating their father because that's what's been fed to them. So as I said, majority of his family, I don't think they even understand why he's doing. They think he's crazy. But I think some people, when you actually understand the details and the, and the whole future possible uh, prospects here, then they can sympathize with his approach. I can, I mean, right, I know also several other cases, but I mean, I think this is enough for us to be able to understand how big a problem this is. Now, as I mentioned that what's surprising from most of the above cases is that the mothers in most of these are religious mothers, practicing mothers, practicing families that uh, she lives with, uh, sometimes even ulama in the family, tablighis in the family, Sufis in the family, religious people in the family, right? But they just don't, you know, what baffled me for the most part was, can they not understand that this is oppressing the child to deprive a child of their father? Can they not see that? That they're trying to punish the 
the child's father, ex-husband, but in that what they're actually doing is that they're actually causing huge detriment to the child. Like just how do you justify such a thing? How can they continue living with themselves knowing that they're harming their children? Sometimes the extended family are part of it. Sometimes actually the, the, the woman herself is under pressure from her family. So while she doesn't mind, it's the extended family, but for the most part, it's actually the, the wife herself, the mother herself, and she's just co-opted everybody on her side. Or some of them, in fact, uh, the, the, there's one case where the brothers of that, uh, of that mother were willing to uh, take extreme measures to, you know, to basically secretly bring the child home to the father because they knew what their sister was doing was wrong, but they said nobody can speak to her. She's just lost her mind. Right. So then I looked into the psychology behind this because when I saw several, I mean, at least 10 cases, I would say that I know personally, right, it, uh, mostly in the area, some outside of the area, I thought, if that's the cases I know, there, there's, there's thousands of cases, there's probably millions of cases of this. And this must have been researched and it has. And uh, this type of uh, behavior is, uh, uh, they, they say it comes from two reasons, right? One is, a, uh, th this type of behavior could be identified as a form of narcissism, right? Which basically is an intense form of selfishness and self-absorption. Only I am right. And only I am right. And when you look at now narcissistic people and their traits, un there's a few traits about them. They're unable to appreciate others' perspectives. It's only my perspective and it's not yours. Recently, I was having a discussion with somebody about something that happened five years ago, right? And I felt that what had happened at, at that time, and this is nothing to relate to marriage, what had happened five years ago, uh, I, I felt that it was correct. According to this other individual, he thinks it's incorrect because he, was, uh, he, 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 was, uh, he lost something in that. But I think it was completely valid. So he's asking me now in five years, do you think it was wrong what happened? And I said, no, I don't think so. And he was disgusted he was aghast he was like how can you not know that how can you not believe that how can you still say it was right i'm very calm and i said i said well there can be two perspectives and he is 20 years older than me i think like hasn't life shown you that there could be two perspectives or more than one perspective in a thing and it's humanly possible to have to, for somebody to hold a different perspective okay one of you is going to be right obviously but Somebody can, even a wrong opinion, somebody can, and you just have to accept that. You don't have to accept their opinion, but you can have to accept the fact that not everybody's going to think alike as you. And if you don't, then that means you're probably narcissistic, that you just can't believe why everybody doesn't see things the way you do. So, in this case, this seems to come from narcissism, intense form of selfishness and self-absorption. They're unable to appreciate others' perspectives. And then they tend to be hyper-focused, hyper-focused on their own desires and feelings. My desire, I've been hurt in this process, even though I may have caused it in the first place. But why did he divorce me? Why did he divorce me? Right? Um, after divorce, this vendetta sets into the heart. The vendetta is that they want to destroy the other parent. And the best tool, the most effective tool that they have, most convenient weapon that they have is the children in this unholy mission of this. The child is just the pawn and they don't realize this. 
they give no consideration to the child's best interests, right? Rather, they consider that alienation of that child from the father is probably the best protection from the father, from the perceived evil in their mind of the father. Understand that they have a perceived evil, that the father is an evil man because this is what he did to me, right? They don't think that they, they could have also caused this. And again, I'm not talking about who's right and wrong in terms of the divorce. But then they think that I want to save my child from that father. Whereas the father's relationship to the child is totally different from a father's relationship to the mother of that child. And you could have too. That's why I keep saying that mother-in-laws individually with everybody else can be the most wonderful people. But when it comes to their daughter-in-law, sometimes it, there's a problem. And likewise, a daughter-in-law can be a completely a decent person with everybody else around her. But there's just this different dynamic when it comes to her mother-in-law. That's just... You know, you put people in different situations, they will react differently, right? There isn't how, it doesn't mean that they're evil people entirely. Such people, anyway, they are said to... Uh, the, so, the second, so the first thing is that they have narcissistic tendencies. The second cause here, from a clinical perspective, is that they appear to display borderline personality disorder, right? which you can call BPD for anybody who's in the medical field. A borderline personality disorder. So it may not be full, but it's definitely borderline personality in which intense emotion becomes expressed as anger. They've got a lot of emotion pent up from what was going on, right? And generally women tend to be more emotional than men anyway. Men can generally get, get over things easily. For women it's a bit more difficult, right? So it's expressed as anger. And they experience longer bouts of dis disappointment and distress than healthy people. And they find it difficult, I mean, I'm not talking about all women, this is talking about not just women, but even men with this borderline personality disorder, which is a, a more general problem, right? But women who have this problem of uh, depriving their children uh, relate to this particular uh, diagnosis, right? So they exper experience much longer bouts of disappointment and distress than healthy people, and it's much more difficult for them to self-soothe. They can't be soothed easily, especially by themselves, because it's just raging for them. They actually then end up developing a victim mentality that allows them to blame others and then to victimize them. You can read about this if you want uh, in psychology today, right? It's called uh, the parental alienation syndrome, what it does and who does it. What they end up doing then is they actually twist reality and they hurl accusations against the other parents because that's the way you indoctrinate. They falsely accuse them of abuse. Um, or very, these are various ways, they commonly interfere with the other's planned parents, parental time. So, okay, even if the court has said, okay, you have to, she has to be there for two, two hours or whatever. Just recently, somebody told me that uh, he had the right through court to go and see his son. So when he got there, she said, oh, you didn't bring a car seat, so you can't take him. That's against the law. And she had a car seat in the house. So finally, he drove all the way back, got a card seat from somebody. He didn't know how to put it in because it's too complicated, because somebody else's. And so eventually, he just put it there. So she eventually comes into the car in front of everybody. He's provoking him. Look, you don't even know how to put a car seat in. What she wants is she wants him to react and get angry so that then she can, rep uh, she can record that and report it. And then she gets full custody. You just have to show how bad your husband, your, your, the father is. And these small things, I mean, are generally taken for them. So what they'll do is, they'll say, oh, he's sleeping at that time. You can't take me. Oh, he's sick. 
on your parental it's just one day you've got he's sick he's, it's not right for him to come through oh he had to go for a party or something like that because at the end of the day the court generally listens to the mothers because originally the idea is that when they're young I mean they should be with the mother anyway even Islam says that so that's why it's just really lopsided uh, one mother has been known to tell her children that they could not afford any food at home because their father wasted all their all their money Right. In another one, a parent repeatedly misinformed the other parent about school activities. Now remember, this could go the other way around as well in some cases. Right? But most cases are where the mother's doing aggressing. They poison the mind of their children to enlist them in their battle, basically. Their ultimate mission is to destroy the other parent's relationship with their children. But in this high-stress pursuit uh, of revenge, Everybody's suffering. They, they're suffering themselves as well, but this is just one way for them to release their emotion. That's why they've actually finally given a name to this problem. That's why it's commonly called the malicious mother syndrome. The malicious mother syndrome. Now, if I'm to ask you, do, not, do you know anybody who's suffering from malicious... I'm not going to say, do you know any malicious mothers, because that's not the point here. Right? The point is, do you know people who are suffering from malicious mother syndrome? Are you suffering from malicious mother syndrome? Right? And again, please don't take it that I'm a man speaking to you. Right? I'm saying this for the children and for your own sanity. This is not healthy. We need to get help. Psychologists can help you with this, especially religious psychologists can help with this to try to remove that vendetta because by anybody's rules these can and any family that's involved in this you are, will also stand in front of Allah if you're if you're supporting a malicious father uh, or, or a malicious a, a father with malicious uh, father syndrome you can call it or a mother with malicious mother you will be part of it because this is destroying the your your grandchild your nephew niece, niece whoever it is that you're supporting as bad as the father is for any other reason you can disagree with him all you like, but give him the custody of his children. As I said, it's the mother's immediate family members sometimes that are the main offenders, right? And sometimes she's just, uh, they force her into this behavior. And uh, she has nowhere else to go, so sometimes she can, but in most of the cases, she is actually the main person doing this. As I said, the greatest harm in this in the long run is going to be for the children. And uh, okay, so this is what, uh, the, 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 this is, uh, what some of the research shows. That they can suffer from many issues. These children in this kind of a relationship, right? This tug of war, they suffer from numerous. They it hampers their development during their most impressionable years. Because rem remember, studies show that until the age of seven, children learn purely by observation. They can learn languages purely by observation, not by repetition. After the age of seven, those recept receptors they they close, and then people learn. Children learn by repetition. That's why it's so easy to learn things by the age of seven because it's all absorption. After the age of seven, it has to be repetition. But if you say things um, repeatedly and enough times, then the children will take those things on. But unfortunately, this happens even before that age. And then it goes beyond, that age, beyond the age uh, of uh, teenage as well. So these children, number one, it, uh, it hampers their development during their most impressionable years. It includes depression low self-esteem, trust issues, because trust, you're, you're literally, you've been told from a young age that your father is not to be trusted. You have a natural trust for your father. It doesn't matter how bad your father or mother are. You have a natural inclination to them because you, that you are part of them. 
And now you've been told that the very people that you are naturally supposed to be able to trust, probably the only people you can trust in the world sometimes, that you can't trust them. Can you see the damage that that is doing? Right? And eventually it provides an increased risk of developing substance abuse problem. Right? This is from the Huffington Post. October 19, there's an article by Joseph Cordell, right, which is in the Huffington Post, October 19, 2014, if you want to check it out. Ultimately, growing up in a single parent home with hatred burning for your father in your heart due to the lies and poison narratives fed to you, it cannot be very healthy. I mean, anybody with any mind can, can, should be able to say that. So, what are the Islamic guidelines? In this regard what are the Islamic guidelines in this regard I'm gonna tell you uh, two aspects of this right one is that if things come to dispute then these are the Islamic guidelines. these are the absolute you can tell fundamental uh, rights that Islam has laid down in the case where it's not gonna work in any other way these rights don't mean that they must work this way if everything is being done well for the child's welfare. All right. So these are things, some of these you, you would have heard, but I want to put it in perspective for you today. Right. So the Islamic uh, guidelines for child custody, it stipulates that upon separation between husband and wife, mother and father, it is generally the mother that gets custody for the children. Right. Rather than the father. So the mother ends up being the primary custodial parent for the child until, that's until an age. That's the age of discernment. Not the age of maturity, but age of discernment. Age of discernment, what they call in Arabic, tamiz, which is when the child is now of an age where they can figure out things, at least right and wrong, black and white. They can see things for themselves. They're not just totally have to be guided in everything. Of course, they still need a lot of parental guidance, but they start understanding things. That is, that is seen to be the age of seven, right? For both boys and girls, seven, right? And there's a unanimous agreement between the scholars on this issue that uh, when the boy reaches the age of seven, right? Um, okay, let's put it this way. When, until the age of seven, both boy and girl, they, they, there's a very special tact that is needed to bring the children up, right? There's a certain level of compassion and care and patience. And I think these three qualities, a mother has more than the father. You may get some isolated freak cases where the father has more of that than the, the mother. But most of the time, it's mothers who have the care, the emotion, the compassion, and uh, the sabr and the patience to bring the children up. So it's, because it's women generally have that, uh, uh, Islam gave the custody to women because they've got a lot more patience in dealing with the difficulties involved in this early stage or the early stages of child rearing. Right. If the mother is not available for whatever reason, then it doesn't still go to the father before this age. Seven for boys and nine for girls. Seven for boys and nine for girls. The reason why they extend two years beyond for girls is because now the girls are probably going to start the onset of menstruation and other things, and the father is not best placed to teach that. So that's why they say, okay, let the mother continue for another two years at least, right? So she can teach them about purity and about these other things. Otherwise, when the child is able to now eat and drink for themselves, clean themselves for themselves, etc., then they're considered to be at the level of discernment, which is around the age of seven, as I said, for boys, but girls are allowed until the age of nine. 
But if the mother is not present in any of these cases after divorce for whatever reason, right, or she can't be present, or uh, I'll explain, the custody generally travels not uh, transfers not to the husband, but it goes to other female relatives in the following order. Okay, listen to this carefully. In the following order, from the wife, it actually goes to her mother, so the mother's mother, the the nanny, right, the child's maternal grandmother. She gets the first right after the wife. Okay. Now, if she can't do it, she's too old, she, or she's not around, or she's got some other issue, then it goes to the daddy. That means the father's mother, right? The child's paternal grandmother. Now, why that's the case? I mean, are nannies more compassionate than daddies? I don't know, would you guys say that? I mean, like if I were to ask you, do you like your nanny more or your daddy more? Is there something about just having more care for your... Uh, for your daughter's children than it is for your son's children because that's what makes the difference in it Anyway, I'll let you guys figure that one out, right? But uh, that's interesting because I did love my nanny a lot I love my daddy as well, but I think I did love my nanny a lot. She died earlier though Rahimahullah, Rahimahumullah right. So After the, now if, if the father's uh, mother is not there, daddy is not there Then the, it's the child's older sister If she's got an older sister that can look after because this is all going in, the, in, uh, in an order of who probably is going to have the most compassion. The next best person. So the older sister then is probably because older sisters to the younger sisters, they're going to be very caring for them generally. Then after that, it goes to the maternal aunt, to her colors. After the older sister, then it goes to maternal aunts, right? And I can say for sure maternal aunts, are, they have an um, ajib, uh, you know, they have an amazing amount of... Uh, of compassion for their nephews, for for their for their sisters' children, right? Colors are the best thing you can find in this, con uh, you know, in your life, right? Colors are wonderful generally, right? So the maternal aunt, then it goes to the paternal aunt. Have you seen? It always goes to the mother's side first before the father's side, right? Because there must be some psychology there, right? Only then does it transfer to the male members of either family, if none of these women are available. Right, maternal aunties, paternal aunties, only then does it go to, this is until the age of seven and nine, boys and in girls. Right, now, why would it be that the, uh, the, the mother's custody is transferred over to the nanny or the, or, the, or the auntie? Why, why? So how does a mother lose her primary custodial rights? Right, or any of the other above women? A uh, uh, number of things, right? It's... She, it's technically forfeited if she marries a man who's unrelated to child. So if she does end up getting married, as many women do get up, end up getting married, and if that man is not, a mater, uh, is not a blood relative of the child, then you'd expect that the child is going to be competition for that man. Because the mother's going to, that, that's her child. The mother's going to be really attached to the child, and the father's going to see that as a, uh, a competition, as a threat, and it's just going to mess up the whole system. So that's why it's better that a child not be with the mother, but be with now. If the child gets mother to the, uh, if the child's mother gets married to the child's uncle or something like that, who's related anyway, then she doesn't lose custody, right? When you say losing custody, it means technically losing custody, which means that if she, if the husband's fine, because not all non-related men who marry a uh, existing mother are going to be bad to the children some are very good so if it works out it's fine and if, you know it's fine because the main thing we have to look at is the child's welfare so it's not like just because the sharia says that it moves on that you must give it up it's not like that you can keep it if nobody else 
uh, is, is going to, you know, is, is got a problem with it, and you don't have a problem with it. Your husband doesn't have a problem with it either. Anyway, that uh, th- this is based on a hadith that's related Imam Abu Dawud and Imam Ahmad, where Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Asadi Allah narrates that a woman said, she came to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. She said, Ya Rasulullah, this son of mine, my womb was a vessel for him. My breasts were a source of drink for him, and my lap, you, lap was a refuge for him. And now his father has divorced me and wants to take him away from me. Now you can imagine her emotion, right? So the Prophet said, you have more right so long as you do not remarry. Then the father can actually argue his case. I tell you something, in this country most fathers aren't going to argue the case if you allow him to custody because they don't have the time. They're going to be at work. So no father is going to come and say, no, I want to take 100% child custody unless there's some kind of, you know, they can sit at home and they've got money coming in from somewhere. I doubt they're going to ever do that. All they want, generally for the most part, is just custody for some time of the week. Other impediments to a mother's or any woman's custody for that matter, or any man's custody for that matter, would be problems with her general character. So for example, sanity. Right? She's not very sane. Right? There's problem with her mind. Or she's not able to fulfill obligations towards the children because she is uh, maybe uh, physically challenged somehow or some you know d- uh, disabled somehow. For instance, another one would be if she is just not into it. She's just constantly out with friends or partying, neglecting the child. You know, she's been known to leave the child at home, as we've seen in the news sometimes, right? Or she goes and constantly drops them off, and she's out there partying late into the night. You know, even on Friday nights. Right? On Thursday night, whatever. Now, uh, another one would be if she's involved in some kind of substance abuse or being alcoholic, for example. This would cause any relative or any person who's supposed to have the right to lose their primary custodial rights. But if they're able, but, but the fuqaha, the general uh, jurists say that if they're able to remove these problems from themselves, they get the right back because they were the primary right holder. Now, um, as I said, why does the child, why is the child now to go to the uh, father after the age of seven or nine, generally speaking? Why, why should he have the primary custodial rights then? Right? Now remember, I keep saying primary custodial rights because in, any, in all of these situations, the person who has primary custodial rights are those who the children generally stay with, but the other, others have the right to visit and to take them out and do a few things with them. They just don't have the right to look after them 24-7 for the whole week, unless, of course, the mother is in hospital or something like that. In none of these cases does it mean that if you've got primary custodial rights, that you have exclusive rights. It doesn't mean that. It just means you're the primary carer. That's it. The other person can come and see them, or you can let the children go there. And that can be whatever's appropriate. So why is it that after that, it goes to the father? right? The reason is that after that, the children need to learn how to protect themselves in this world. They, uh, the boys need to learn manliness. Uh, girls as well, they need to know how to protect themselves. And probably the father is in a better position sometimes to do that, being a man in a traditional sense. Right? That's, that's the reason why. In fact, it mentions in the books that um, if, the, if the... Because you have to remember that bringing up a child... I mean, I know in this case it's a bit different, but generally bringing up a child anywhere in the world means money. Right? Expenses. Right? The father obviously has to pay that. Even if the mother is in doing the, uh, is the primary custodian, the father has to pay. The mother is not. In fact, the father has to even pay her 
the, the, the lodging expenses, the home expenses and all the other expenses and even the, 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 there's a whole discussion about whether if she has no other way to earn a money uh, for herself, right? Does the father have to pay for her as well? Right? Then there's a whole discussion about if there's nobody else to look after, like if there's no other aunt, you do it for free, then, and the father has money or the child has his own money because he's got inheritance or something, then the mother can be paid. I, I'm not going to get into that because that's a bit convoluted, but of course you can ask the question to muftis when you need to, if you're in that situation. But I want to just gen mention the general rulings to you, because there's a lot of confusion about this. But anyway, after the ages of seven and, seven and nine, it's supposed to be the father's custody, if the father wants it. If he wants it, he can literally Islamically take over, right? Again, that doesn't mean that the mother is not able to see them anymore. Of course the mother can. Nobody is allowed to deprive anybody. But it's just talking about whose primary custody. I would just tell you from experience and from the practice and the norm in the UK and in the Western countries in general, fathers won't have time to be primary carers in most cases. But if they do, then they can actually uh, assert that right if they want to. So again, if the mother continues to look after the children and the father has secondary custody, that's completely fine. It doesn't mean it has to go over, but I just want to mention that it's his Islamic right to take over if he really wants to. Now, there were some scholars who said that at the age of seven or nine, the child should be allowed to choose for themselves. Because there's one hadith that indicates that. However, the majority say no, that's obviously not the best thing you can offer a child because the child, and I've seen this in cases, you know the parent who shows the most leniency, who lets them do what they like, wear what they like, uh, buys them what they like? That's the tug of war in this case. One parent wants their, wants their tarbiya, the other parent just wants to win the battle, so they let them do whatever they want. I've seen so many cases like that. So if you're going to get a seven or eight year old kid to choose, they're going to choose the one who lets them PlayStation more. Right? Let's them mess around more. Doesn't have to be a particular time to sleep. You know, maybe even let them miss school or something like that. So that's why they say that, no, that you really can't do that because that child is not really at the age to understand. Now, uh, the final few points is that, as I said earlier, um, whoever has primary custody, they must remain in a close-by vicinity. They're not allowed to go and take the child and move to another city in which the child can't, uh, the, 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 the other parent can't comfortably go in the day, right? Visit them and come back home. So, for example, to be in Blackburn, that would be difficult for the father to, or the mother for that matter, to be able to go back and forth, right? It has to be like, for example, east to, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe 20 minutes drive or something like that. Then that's understandable to be within a distance where they can see each other quite conveniently. Otherwise, it's not allowed. As I said, I'm trying to make it as practical as possible now in, in our situation based on our understanding. So I think uh, that pretty much that pretty much gives us a full understanding, at least uh, in terms of the general framework uh, of Islamic custodial rights and how they work. All right. And again, what the books do say right at the end of all of this is that this, uh, you know, it, it, uh, this is where if things break down completely, then this is the absolute bare bones that you can, you know, fight for these particular rights. But otherwise, whatever works for the child and for the parents, they can do that because it's not haram for the mother to continue looking after the child if the father's okay with it after those ages. Likewise, it's not haram for the father to look after them until the age of seven and nine, if the mother is unable to do so for whatever reason, right? Likewise, it also mentions that 
Sometimes you could actually have a husband that the a new husband that the wife will marry will be much more compassionate to the child than any other member of her family because maybe they're just not into it. So that's fine. Whatever really works, but the rights have to be fulfilled of both parents. They should have the rights of visitation and for having the children for you know for convenient amounts of time. So that ends that. Again to reiterate the the malicious mother or the malicious father syndrome it could be in some rare cases right so the malicious mother syndrome i think the only time that i've seen a father get the custodial rights is where the mother was actually adulterous she actually brought this fellow home and the father wasn't there the child was downstairs he's about nine or ten years old at the time and she went locked the door of her room and the child went up to look after and he could hear noises i'm being graphic here reason is that the father used to say that afterwards he didn't know this for two years or something or one and a half years but he says every time my child ever saw anybody being intimate or anything he would like put his hands in his ears he was traumatized traumatized by that she would never let him see her phone he knew something was wrong but he couldn't prove it one day after about a year or a year and a half he managed to get access everything she actually had a false false fake book uh, uh, page and it was all clear but she were, when he confronted, she was not willing to. Then she ran off. Right? She took off from the house. And for some reason, she didn't want to even talk to the child. The school knew about all of this. So eventually, the judge gave him custody. But that's the only case in the cases that I know where the father actually received full custody. Right? And he's not trying to poison his child against his mother. But his mother just doesn't want to be part of it. I don't know what the situation is right now. So we ask Allah for tawfiq. And we ask Allah to solve our situation. Believe me, if you are emotionally traumatized, and you can be because divorce is a bad thing, please go and get, get help. We know many women in this area who are emotionally traumatized like this to the level sometimes of insanity. Right? They're not there anymore. They're just not there. And that's really sad for us to see because this is our community. All right? And every community probably has. We're just talking about our community. These people need professional help. The Maulana in the masjid, I can't help you. You have to remember there's a difference between a qualified counsellor of depression, which is a clinical problem, right? Uh, um, uh, I can't help you with clinical depression. I don't have the training. And I don't think many other ulama, unless they've had a training to do this. That's why we need our alims and alimas because we get asked this question, we get consulted about this, so we do need to have this, and mashallah, I think that there's an awareness now, and there's lots of courses taking place, but otherwise you need to find a religious, right, person who understands a culturally sensitive counsel, you can't just go to any counsel either, you have to be culturally because they don't understand the culture that we're from, we still have culture, right, really get some help, and if you know people in your family, help them to get some help. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين may Allah سبحانه وتعالى bring about good and may Allah سبحانه وتعالى bring about good through these programs and through this awareness and allow us to have a much more healthier community and healthier society healthier next generation may Allah سبحانه وتعالى restore the rights that each parent uh, is supposed to get may Allah allow us the ability to restore the rights for each parents and may Allah make that easy for us وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين